Mastercard presents a CEO success story. Meet Kai Frazier. She had an idea. Kai founded Kai XR, a VR platform for kids. CEO supported Kai's idea, and now she's able to help kids around the world learn new, in-demand tech skills. Mastercard is helping CEO find women-identifying entrepreneurs who are working on the world's to-do list. Come see how you can help her idea start something priceless at CEO.world. Her ideas start something priceless. Walking around Toronto recently, I've been amazed at the houses I've seen that sold for more than a million dollars. We're in the midst of a major recession, and yet home prices are rising, which doesn't really make any sense to me. This week on Down to Business, I spoke to Benjamin Tal, the Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC and the author of a recent report about whether this housing-friendly recession will last. He found that in every province in Canada, statistics indicate it's a seller's market. Tal told me that 80% of the job losses so far have affected people with lower income, aka people who may already be priced out of buying property in Canada. And while they're taking a hit right now, everybody else has been able to take advantage of low interest rates to upsize their living space. Tal told me this is one of the reasons why it's the most uneven crisis in recent history. And our conversation zigzagged into a discussion of income inequality, what can be done about it, whether this crisis will have any lasting effect on our economy, and topics such as education and how long this housing madness will last. Benjamin Tal, thank you very much for joining me on Down to Business. It's wonderful to have you on the show. It's a pleasure. Well, thanks for joining me. In your report, you start off by asking, is there a logic behind the madness in the housing market in Canada right now? Home prices are up, unit sales up, new listings all up. What logic did you find? Yes, that's a very good question because we have to remember where we are. We are in the midst of the most significant recession we have seen in the post-war era. You know, GDP growth was negative 40% in the second quarter. It improved in the third quarter, but we are still down by 5% uh, relative to where we were before the crisis. We all know the situation in the labor market. We are still short seven or 800,000 workers relative to the pre-crisis uh, situation. So you look at that and you will expect the housing market to slow down. And guess what? We are in a full swing V-shape recovery, as you mentioned, sales are up by 30%, prices are up by almost 20%, and the question is how sustainable it is, and how can we explain this kind of environment? Is it just low interest rate? Is it pent-up demand? Is it much more than that? And when you go deep into the numbers, you see that actually there is some logic to this madness. It's not just interest rate, it's more the composition of the pain in the labor market. 80% of people that lost their job during this crisis were low-paying occupations. Most of them were renters. So many homeowners or potential homeowners that did not see their income going down took advantage of low interest rates and got into the market. That's exactly what we're seeing now. So what we're seeing is it's not just pent-up demand, it's not just low interest rates, but as 80% of the people who lost their jobs, those 700,000 to 800,000 workers who lost their jobs were, were low paying, 
So this is another example then of kind of the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Unfortunately, yes. I think that uh, this uh, crisis is the most asymmetrical crisis in terms of the damage we have ever seen. So let's go back to the housing market. The narrative until now was that low interest rates were the main cause. But we have to remember, yes, interest rates are very, very low. But at the same time, we have uh, what we all know, it's called the stress test, where you have to be qualified at a much higher rate. Now, if you look at the stress test and what you have to be qualified at, relative to what we have seen, let's say in 2008, current rates for qualifications are actually higher than they were in 2008 during the financial crisis. But activity today is much, much higher. Wait, 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 wait. What's much higher than 08, 09? Interest rates. Interest are much, rates. much higher. Yes. So the narrative until now is that low interest rates play a major role in supporting the housing market and this V-shaped recovery. However, remember, we have this stress test at this point in which individuals, home buyers have to qualify, qualify at rates that are much higher than the current rate. Now, if you compare the qualification rate today to what it was in 2008, Today, actually, it is much higher. So you cannot explain what's happening in the housing market just due to lower interest rates. It's much more than that. So it takes us to the composition, the distribution, the asymmetrical pain in the labor market. And you are absolutely right. The income inequality of this crisis is rising. Every crisis is a trend accelerator and this crisis is no is really no different in this sense we know that the income gap was widening and this crisis totally exposed the widening income gap in our society and you see it clearly in the housing market and what does your bank see as the long-term consequences of income inequality I think that the income inequality is the number one crisis, major issue facing our country. It was the case before the crisis, and now this crisis totally exposed it. I think that what we are going to see over the next year or two is a totally different system. Uh, the CERB, the CRB, the modified EI, is the beginning of the realization that we need to do something to support people who need the help. So I think that this crisis will lead to some sort of, um, you know, some sort of safety net that we haven't seen before. Maybe it will be basic um, income. Maybe it will be something else. But it will be something that will make sure that the uh, 40% or 50% of unemployed that in the past were not insured will be insured. So it will be a, a better system. But beyond that, I think that if you look at um, rising inequality, it's really a reflection of many, many uh, forces. Uh, for example, some people uh, believe that it's just about education. The more educated you are, the better you are. The reality is that, yes, Canada is the most educated country in the OECD in terms of the number of people going to universities. But we also, listen to this, we are the number one country in terms of the number of educated people that live in poverty. Wow. So there is a mismatch in the labor market between the skill set and what's needed in the economy. And one of the reasons is that the field of study. People are studying things that the economy does not need at this point. So we have to rethink education in a big way. You know, the, 
the labor market is changing at the speed of flight, and the education system is behaving like nothing happened. We have to rethink education, and this uh, crisis is exposing that vulnerability. I want to go back for a second to what you said about CERB and the, the realization that we need more of a social safety net. Have, have your, has your bank studied anything like the universal basic income? Yeah, it, it's a very complex issue. We know that we have to fix the current system. And we know that uh, the CERB, for example, was suboptimal because a lot of money was uh, provided to people that did, did not need the money. And that's something that uh, we have to prevent because there is a limit to how much the government can spend and there is a limit to how much the Bank of Canada can print in terms of money. So we have to be careful. The first six months, everybody was panicking. The government was trying to help. That was the right thing to do. But now we have to make sure that the program that is replacing uh, the current program will be a more sustainable uh, program um, fiscally. And one way of doing it is to make sure that only the people that need the money get it. Basically, only the people that are now in the L-shape recovery get it. And that's something that can be done if uh, government assistance is more targeted. And that's exactly what we need to do now. Income in Canada is rising. This is the first recession ever that income is, is rising. Not only is it rising, it is rising at the fastest rate ever, ever, in a recession. Hmm. Which means that clearly government money aimed at supporting Canadians is, uh, being, is basically provi- is provided to everybody that wants it. And some people don't need it. And I say the system must, must distinguish between a 17-year-old student that is not happy with his or her allowances and calls himself unemployed and a 45-year-old parent of two that is unemployed. We must distinguish between the two. At this point, we are not doing that. Yeah, it seems reasonable that we need to hone our policy a lot. I want to go back to this report for a second about what you just said, how in this recession, it's all low-paying people uh, that have lost their jobs primarily. And I want to get back to this idea that housing is rising right now in the middle of a recession and what that says about income inequality. This isn't exactly a new problem um, that housing is rising. It's been expensive for a long time. It seems to keep blowing through every you know artificial benchmark we set for it. Housing, it seems like, is out of whack in Canada. And I'm wondering what this is a symptom of besides income inequality in, in Canada. Yes, uh, that's a very good question. So as you suggested, of course, even before the crisis, uh, the housing market was very strong, although it was slowing down because of regulations. Remember what we call B20, the stress test actually slowed down the market. And then we had this V-shape recovery that we have seen over the past uh, few months. We have to remember that uh, clearly the the fact that uh, 80% of people who lost their jobs were in low-income occupations means that a very large segment of uh, the economy of households were in a position to take advantage of low interest rates because their income was untouched. So that's the opportunity they were waiting for. Their income was untouched. In fact, it was going up while interest rates are in the basement. So they actually can take advantage of this situation. That's exactly what we are seeing now. Of course, this cannot last, especially in the coming six months, as the economy will slow down, the second wave, the flu season overlapping with the virus. We all know the story. So the housing market will slow down. 
But beyond that, what we are seeing more and more, and that's very interesting uh, to your listeners, is that 50%, 50% of the increase in uh, home uh, prices at this point is due to what we call the composition factor, namely more activity in more expensive houses. Expensive means larger. Larger means detached. So we see this migration from smaller houses or condos to larger detached houses, which makes sense if you think about the nature of the crisis. And therefore, it's not just house prices are rising, but people are buying and migrating to bigger houses and therefore more expensive. And that's one of the reasons why prices are rising. Right. You talk about this in the report, how there seems to be more interest in what you guys call ground units and what I think of as houses and less interest in high rises. Does this mean that condos, primarily in cities, may get cheaper soon? The short answer is yes. They are already starting to get cheaper. If you look at the fundamentals of the condo space in places like Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, we see more supply coming and reduced demand. The slow demand is coming for a few reasons. One is um, we see a situation in which uh, you have uh, less immigration. That's something that clearly is impacting the condo space and the rental space. Um, same goes for uh, the you know the inclination now to live in a detached house as opposed to live in a place where a lot of people sharing the elevator the elevator with you. So that's another factor. So the supply and the demand issue is uh, suggesting that the condo market is softening. We are starting to see it in the resale market. Soon we will see it in the new construction market. We also don't see the same number of investors investing in the condo space. And that's, by the way, why we see the rental market slowing. So the rental market rent going down by 10% on a year-over-year, reflecting the weakness in demand. Remember, immigration, the um, conversion of... uh, uh, Airbnb from short term to long term means that the supply demand situation in the rental market is not optimal, and that's why it is slowing down. The condo space will soften as well, but the low rise, namely the ground oriented houses, will remain relatively strong. A because of strong demand, and B even more important, there's simply no supply of houses. You see right. people lining up to buy a detached house because you don't have enough supply. In the condo space, you have plenty. Trying to think about how much of this is sort of a short-term impact of of the pandemic. You know, if we get a vaccine, will people want to move back to condos? Will Airbnb start up again in condos? And how much is long-term? The short answer is, I think this is a pause. This is a short-term story. And if we look at the market, let's say in 2024, even 2023, it will be the continuation of the trend that we have seen in 2019. I think that we tend to exaggerate the long-term impact of um, a situation where we are in it, and we are in it now. So clearly, people look look at, um, you know, things will change forever. After 9-11, people say, I will never fly again, and people did fly. So things will uh, not change as dramatically as people believe. Even the office market will still be alive and um, and well because I think that people will go back to offices not at the same rate that they were before the crisis, but it's not the demise of the office market. Same goes for the condo space. Same goes for living downtown. 
many young people still would like to do so. So this is a short term, a year, two, three of a change in direction, but this is not going to change the direction we have seen over the past decade that will continue after we are on the other side of this crisis. Yeah. So just keep coming back to the idea that the price of housing, everybody, it seems so many people are spending all their money on housing, on buying a house, on their rent. I mean, is there any, are there policy prescriptions that we can take to fix this beyond just building more housing? Yes, I think that the number one solution is rental solution. You look at the cities like Manhattan, Berlin, London, and the number of people renting there is much higher than in Toronto, Vancouver. Montreal, actually, is a place where you see a higher propensity to rent. And I suggest that we need to have much more supply of rental units, but not condos, but what we call purpose-built, basically apartment buildings, because the new wave of renters will be young families or older people that are downsizing. They don't want to deal with a landlord. They want to deal with a company. They need stability, which means that we have to create a different uh, you know, thinking, way of thinking about rental activity. Basically, if you are 35 years old, you are married, you have two kids and you're renting, nothing is wrong with you. And in order to develop this um, direction, this way of thinking, we have to increase the supply of rental units. To me, that will be the long-term solution for the affordability crisis that we are facing. So, Ben, you mentioned education is an issue that we're starting to see that, that we need to change education and the way we educate people. Can you explain that a little more, what you meant? Yes, we all understand that we are in a transition period. You know, the reason why Trump is the president now is because of the fact that he realizes that uh, the, you know, the middle class is disappearing, which is really the case. However, he is blaming trade and trade is not the issue. For every job we lost to trade, we lost eight to automation. That's the reality. So clearly the economy is changing and the labor force is not changing quickly enough to meet the demands of the new economy. And I, that's why we have this mismatch in the labor market. We have people without jobs and jobs without people. And that's something that we have to fix. Now, of course, you cannot fix it tomorrow. You cannot take uh, somebody uh, that lost uh, a manufacturing job and turn this person into a computer engineer tomorrow. So I see a situation in which we have to buy time, and that's why the discussion of uh, basic income is so, so important because that will allow you to buy the time, allow those people to find an appropriate job while educating the young and have them and provide them with the tools to deal and meet the requirement of the new economy. And that's what's missing at this point. And you think in 10 years time, you think that, and I think most people think about universal basic income as sort of a pipe dream, um, something that until maybe even now, still people just sort of write off as impossible. But you think more and more we're going to be, t in 10 years, we might actually see it? I think we will be talking about it, and I think we'll see a version of it. I don't see a universal basic income in the sense that everybody gets something. I see some sort of basic income zoomed in on low-income people who really need it, 
and that will be more uh, achievable from a fiscal perspective. But also we have to remember, when we talk about education, we're not talking just about computer engineers or, uh, you know, mathematics. There is a significant shortage in trades in this country. And what we need is to combine the two. I see nothing wrong with having a BA in history and a minor in plumbing. Right. Here in Canada today, it is a joke. In Germany, where they have the dual system, that's exactly what's happening. So I think it's doable. That's fascinating. We could just keep talking about this forever, I feel like. But I'll, 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 I'll ask you one more question, maybe. You, you mentioned education is the first thing you need to fix, and you just gave a sort of prescription of, of how we can do that. What's the second thing right behind that that you would fix? Yeah, I think that what we need to do is also to break the negative stigma associated with trades, to break the negative stigma associated with the colleges. We have to basically celebrate those occupations the way they do it in places like Germany. So if you do that, you will see more, many more people entering this field and breaking and, and filling this uh, gap that we are seeing now. That's fascinating. It's been great to chat with you while I have time. Is there, is there any last thoughts you have about sort of um, the economy, the recession in housing but before we get off the phone? Yeah, I think that we covered most of the important points. I think that really the most important thing for people to understand is the asymmetrical nature of this crisis. And in many ways, it created a housing-friendly uh, recession. This will not last as we start slowing down in the next six months. I think that's the main message here. Again, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk with you about these topics. A pleasure, a pleasure. That was Benjamin Tal, Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC and author of a report earlier this month titled, A Housing Friendly Recession, Will It Last? Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Down to Business. And if you feel inclined, consider sharing it with a friend and giving us a rating on your podcast app. As always, this episode would not be possible without the hard work and efforts of Bryce Hall, who's responsible for music and production, Yadula Hussein for editing, and Pamela Heaven and Victoria Wells for web support. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week. Until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.